Amen. Genesis 37 tonight. Genesis 37. We embark on the last segment of Genesis as we uh, take up now the life of Joseph. And what a journey it's been uh, from Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, all the way down to these are the generations of Jacob. As you're finding Genesis 37, let me bring us up to speed for those who are just joining us or uh, haven't been with us for a little bit here. Uh, Jacob's been on a journey down from Padanaram. He left the northern part of above Israel, and he left at the bidding of the Lord. The angel of the Lord showed him that he needed to go back to Canaan land. It was time. He consulted with his wives and started making the journey. And uh, through being chased by Laban and fearful to run into his brother Esau after all those years and what happened back at the ranch and Jacob had to flee, well, Jacob uh, wrestled with a man through the night, and that, I believe, was the Lord. And uh, he was so fearful to meet Esau, but uh, God took care of it all. And Esau and Jacob had a grand reunion when they met, and Jacob's fears were, uh, were really uh, unsubstantiated. Esau had had no flaws against his brother by the time they met. So Jacob continues on his journey, and he settles in Canaan land. He settles in an area of Shechem, which meant he fell short of Bethel, where the Lord uh, wanted him to be. And we talked about the trouble that came to visit Jacob when he was in Shechem. Through this time, he's had uh, four, four women, and they've borne him 12 sons and uh, one daughter. And uh, Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. So his 12 sons are with him, and we take up the story. Genesis 36, we spent a good deal of time looking at the lineage of Esau. And all of the kings and all of the greatness of Esau was listed for us there in chapter 36. And it's interesting to me that out of all of those sons and all of the descendants and all the kings that came out of Esau and would be the Edomian kings or the kings of Edom, that's all there is about them. And then you have that whole big list, and it, and it narrows down here in Genesis 37. In verse number 2, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with six sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. So the contrast is clear, is it not? You have all the sons of Esau, and then it narrows it down to Joseph. This is a pattern that we see in the Scriptures. We started with general creation, and we went from Adam down to Noah. And from Noah, we had three sons that were of significance, and it was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Shem was narrowed down as the one through whom the promise would come. And from the sons of Shem, come through Eber eventually and down to Abraham and the promise is given to Abraham who had uh, you know we have the stories of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and through that it narrows down to this one man now Joseph so you see what the book of Genesis is doing it's tracing our roots back to Christ God could have told us about plenty of things but when you read the Bible keep that in mind it's written to point you to Christ it's not an exhaustive encyclopedia of all the knowledge ever known by man. God's not going to spell out for you what all happened when the molecules began to work when he created. He's not going to go into that depth. But what he is going to do is show you the path of life, show you the way to Jesus Christ. And Joseph here is going to be a picture of Jesus Christ. 
Some people have gone overboard on over-typifying him. But I also think there's a great disservice that is done by, to Joseph in commentaries and things where uh, they, they don't see Christ in him at all. I don't know how you can look at this man and look at the, the account that's given in the book of Genesis and not see Jesus here. Come on in, brother. Good to see you. I don't know how anyone can come away from the life of Joseph and not see Jesus Christ. There's just too much overlap when you ask me. That's just my humble opinion. So in Genesis chapter 37, we take up the story of, of uh, Joseph, and I would like to read down through verse number uh, 11, if you would, with me. In verse number 1, Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. We just covered how he wound up down there at the bidding of the Lord. These are the generations. That's the Toledot. Remember, this is a key movement indicator by Moses. I believe Moses wrote Genesis. So this now begins the next saga. We learned a lot about Jacob when we were introduced to the Toledot of Isaac, right? So following suit with that, we're going to learn so much about Joseph following the, ten, the Toledot. The, these are the generations of Jacob. So when you study the book of Genesis, look for that key phrase, these are the generations of these are the generations of. So the movement is here. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17, feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, and his father's wives. Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him, could not speak peaceably unto him. Verse number 5, And Joseph dreamed a dream. He told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obedience to my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I've dreamed, I've dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And verse 11 says, And his, brothers, his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll bless our time in your word. May we look at the things that are here and see what it is you'd have us to see so that we can glean what we need for our families, Lord, and that we can learn uh, from the scriptures so that we can look more like Christ then when we came. We'll thank you for how you help us grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't want to get all political here, but you know we're coming up on 2020 and it's another election year, right? Well, who remembers back in 2016 all of the hubbub that happened around the election? And I'm not here to pick sides. I'm not here to, to pick on you for being on one side or the other, but I just want to observe the way that our country is so divided right now. We can agree on that, can't we? Uh, because there's definite polarity that I see, that I can observe. And a lot of it goes back to 2016. 
And there are plenty of people that, I mean, let's face it, whether you voted for the man or not, Donald Trump is God's appointed official, and he is the president over America right now. If you believe Romans 13, you have to believe he's ordained by God. And so the scriptures are clear on that. And yet there are people who, they're envious, they're jealous. I just use that as, a, as an illustration because things really haven't changed that much. Look at Joseph. Okay, Now, his brethren have a problem with him. And there are plenty of people that have problems with Donald Trump. I understand that. But he is God's choice. Now, he's the people's choice of America, but if we trust that Americans are being led by a sovereign power, then the election that fell out in 2016, we have to give uh, some kind of credit to God for that, even though it's the, the free will of the people that determine elections in our country, and we're thankful for that. But there's a sovereign hand of God that moves, and he is the ordained leader of our country. Now, the reason I, I start out with that is because think about hindsight. Hindsight's twenty twenty. We know the rest of the story with Joseph. How's it going to work out for him? No question about it. We just read two dreams that Joseph had that I, you know, it doesn't specify they were from God, but many times God in this day and time will communicate through dreams. And I think if the brothers were more sensitive to what God might have been doing. Now, this is easy for us to say, right? Because we know the end of the story. But I think if the brothers had paid closer attention to those dreams, and if that, I mean, Jacob here, it did say in verse 11, his father observed the same. So I think Jacob at least has lived long enough to see, you know, maybe God's doing something here. Even though he rebuked Joseph for it, he's still observing it. And he's wondering. But it must not have struck him that deeply because when his brothers are going to bring back the coat dipped in blood, Jacob is not going to have enough faith to believe that God can preserve Joseph alive. He's going to just deem him for dead right there. So then what, what do these dreams amount to in Jacob's mind? Or even nothing, right? It didn't mean anything by that point. Well, we know the end of the story. And we know that one day Joseph is going to be second in command to Pharaoh after it's all said and done. We're talking about decades of Joseph's life, separated from his brothers who throw him in a pit and all those things. But mark it, was not Joseph God's ordained choice to save many people alive in his day? And who disdained him for that? You mean you're really going to be the leader over us? <laughs> I don't think so, Joseph. Let's be careful. Let's be careful about leadership. And I just want to illustrate that to you. If you know, if God's called you to do something in your life, mark it down. There's going to be people that don't agree with you. There's going to be people that they, they're not going to tolerate you being over them. I don't care if it's an employer-employee situation. You might have some people that are like Joseph's brethren. Well, you know, I mean, think about it. This could play out real well in the, in the uh, workplace situation. Uh, Brother Mike, maybe I could just use a subway scenario. Let's say, you know, you have somebody that's been at Subway for, I don't know, 30 years, and there's this faithful Subway, right? And then you have some new green guy that comes in right off the street, and uh, this fellow that's been there 30 years, now this green guy comes in and works his way up, and before you know it, the rookie now is wearing the manager's hat and telling the 30-year-old veteran there what to do, you know? Uh, I, I don't know. The, 
the guy that's there 30 years probably doesn't want to be manager anyway. I understand that. <laughs> the illustration only goes so far. But you understand what I mean. I saw this. I saw this when I worked at Brakes. You know, politics and all that stuff enters in. Well, I mean, how does, you know, why do they think they can make him or her supervisor? You know, what is, I've been here longer. You know, I've got more seniority, whatever the argument is. And people can buck the system. They can have a problem, right? Education. Let's say, you know, a newer teacher comes in and excels and does well. And some of the teachers that have been there for a long time get disgruntled because now the, the new person is taken. So Joseph is 17. Reuben might be 30 or 40. But let's not forget the history. Reuben is the firstborn of Jacob. No question about it. But Reuben committed a heinous act against his dad. And it's recorded forever in the pages of Scripture. When he, when he did what he did, you go back and read it, you see it's, it's just atrocious. So Reuben is, is disqualified in Jacob's mind. I want you to think with me how Jacob might justify having favoritism the way he does towards Joseph. So if Reuben's out, he's the firstborn. Let's keep going down the list. We have Simeon and Levi. Oh yeah, Shechem. <laughs> Who could forget that? You've made me to stink in the eyes of all the people and the nostrils of all the people in the land. So Simeon and Levi, because of their revenge against the Shechemites over the rape of Dinah, now they've been disbarred. They've been disqualified. They're not. They're not suitable in Jacob's eyes for uh, for the privileges of being the firstborn and getting all of that. Okay, uh, well, we do have Judah, but I don't know what to say about that. Here's where I see a little bit of a breakdown. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Their mom was Leah. So if we are going to get past Judah, then we've got to do some more wrestling in our mind. Hey, we are really good at justifying sin. Can I just say that? In ourselves, we are the best liars you could ever you could ever find, and self deceivers. We are very good at justifying wrong actions, and and Jacob's going to justify his favoritism. I really believe that he is going to have to work through this in his heart and mind. So then, if he's going to get it to Joseph, then I don't know. Maybe he'd have a little conversation between him and the Lord like this. Well, you know what Laban did to me, God. I was supposed to marry Rachel, and he tricked me. He said, so in Jacob's mind, now keep it, keep, keep that in mind. It's Jacob's mind, not God's mind, because God recognized the relationship between Jacob and or Leah. We pointed that out, because who will Messiah eventually come through? Judah, and, that, and Judah's mother is Leah. So let's not forget that. But Jacob, in his mind, you know, could rationalize it and say, you know, Laban tricked me, that dirty dog, and really the union in, in God's eyes is between me and Rachel. So then, who does that make? Oh, you're tracking with me. Good. Who does that make then the firstborn? If Jacob is recognizing his and Rachel's relationship, marriage, it's going to put Joseph as the firstborn. He's going to be the one with the rights to all the heirship. We read in these verses that. Jacob loved Joseph, and I paused so that you, you would note this, more than, more than, that's a problem, huge problem. And he made him the coat of many colors, signifying, I think, personally, that this was, you know, the baton's going to pass to Joseph after I'm done. 
So that throws Reuben by the wayside, Simeon, Levi, I mean all the other sons by the wayside now. And Joseph bypasses them all. I want you to notice tonight really three things. And I just want to encourage you, no matter what happens, if God has called you to do something, stay faithful. And as you see Joseph, he's going to remain faithful. He's going to never lose faith in God throughout his whole journey, being thrown in a pit, in the prison with Potiphar's wife, uh, uh, accusations and all of that, all the way you know through the dreams that he has with the baker and the butler and then being forgotten for two more years on top of all the years he's already spent in there, only to come out to be second under Pharaoh in the end. Jake, uh, Joseph never once loses sight of what God might do. I never once see Joseph complaining. I don't. I see him maybe having to work through some things in dungeon moments in his life, wondering why is all this working the way it does. Joseph just stayed faithful. Now, the other thing I would encourage you, if Scott's you know, doing something in your life, and there's some folks maybe that, that aren't in agreement with it, like Joseph's brethren, don't give them any occasion. If they throw you in a pit, it's going to be on them, not you. As Pastor Larson was going through First uh, Peter, remember, we were encouraged to, to suffer for righteousness' sake, not for our own sake. When you're suffering for your own sin, hey, I'm, I'm just like anybody else. We are really good at getting ourselves in messes, and we suffer because of our own doing. And I've paid for plenty of that in my life, just like you have, and we can tell stories all day long, I'm sure. But when we suffer for righteousness' sake, we're suffering for the cause of Christ. It's not anything that we did. I want you to see that here. Joseph, you know, some people have taken this, I think it was Kent Hughes in his commentary, took this word about the evil report and actually turned Jacob out, or Joseph out to be a real bad kid. And I just don't read my Bible that way, I'm sorry. I, I, I know he goes to the Hebrew and all of that, but uh, he, you can't lock a lexicon definition onto one thing. Context has to determine what that word means. And when you see evil report here the way that it's listed, I think the brothers were doing something so heinous, so atrocious. I don't think Joseph would have just went and tattletailed on them without good reason. I'm going to give Joseph the benefit of the doubt. That dad, you know, is going to send him out to go do some do some surveying, and Joseph sees, hey, this is bad. If I don't if I don't speak the truth on this, then people can get really, really hurt. It's not love. It's not love to let someone destroy somebody else because you're going to love them and not say anything. That's not love. And Joseph here is going to speak the truth. And the Bible says we speak the truth in love. That's in the Ephesians. That's in the New Testament. But I think we could apply that here, even back in the Old Testament. If Joseph is speaking the truth, I don't think it's because he hates his brothers. Not once do you read in this passage, Joseph hated his brothers. It's always the other way around. The brothers hated Joseph, and they hated him more, and they hated him more. And they envied him in the end. And it just progresses. So just stay faithful. Even when God might choose to do something in your life, and other people are, are not really on board with that. Just stay faithful. Give them none occasion. Don't give them any reason. You know, in the ministry, in ministerial class, we had an illustration by Dr. Shetler uh, on being, you know, being in the pastor. If any man desired the office of a bishop, he desired the good work. The desire needs to be there, for sure. But he went on to illustrate that this way. If, if a man desired the office of a bishop, he desired the good work. First qualification is a bishop must then be Another first qualification, can you quote it from 1 Timothy 3? The bishop must then be blameless. There it is. 
So blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? Well, he had one of those Velcro uh, pads, you know, where you throw the tennis ball and you play Velcro catch like that. I used to play that as a kid in the paddle ball or whatever. You throw it on the, the Velcro paddle and it sticks. Well, he said it's like this. He had that and then he also had a trash can lid. And I, I think it was a pretty clean trash can lid. I think he just bought it, you know, not used trash can lid. So he was using this. But he said this is the example of being blameless. If you're not blameless, then it's like the Velcro paddle. Somebody throws something at you and it sticks because you're not blameless. Then he held up the, the trash can lid, right? And he throws the tennis ball against that. It doesn't stick. It doesn't mean people aren't going to say things because they will, and it'll be hurtful, but it just means whatever's said won't stick. Joseph here, whatever you throw at him, I don't care what it is, it's not going to stick in my book. Joseph is blameless as far as I'm, I'm concerned when I read about his life. The man looks so much like Jesus Christ, I can't think of somebody else in the Bible that looks more like Jesus than Joseph. Now, I know he's not sinless, and Joseph isn't perfect. Maybe he's acting a little immature here, revealing the dreams too soon. I don't know. I I don't think so. I think he had a, a real good foot to stand on to at least share what God was doing in his life. But maybe it was one of those things where it's casting pearls before swine, like Jesus said in Matthew 7. You know, you start talking about all that God's doing in your life, and before you know it, somebody over here is stewing because they can't handle hearing you talking about how good God's been to you when they're thinking about everything in their life and how God seems to be forgetting them. You know how it falls out. So I don't know if that's exactly the way it worked with Joseph, but I can see how it could play out. People are sinners. Stay faithful. Don't give anybody any cause. Don't give anybody any occasion. People are going to do what they're going to do sometimes, and you can't control other people, but you can control your reaction to circumstances. Notice first off the father's revere here, and this is Jacob revering Joseph in in really an unhealthy manner because it's more than the rest of the brethren. And through uh, Jacob's veneration of Joseph, it says, now Israel loved Joseph, verse 3, more than all his children. And why? Because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. The favoritism is clear. I want you to note, though, Joseph's faithfulness. Joseph is faithful, faithful to all. all. And we see that in verse number 2. We're told, We're told he's with the, he's feeding the flock with his brethren. How great is that? He's 17, and he's not even with you know his, his brothers Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah. No, he, he doesn't get to go work with them. He gets stuck with the handmaid's children. And notice who he's out there with. It says the sons of Bilhah, that's Rachel's handmaid, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wife. So they're doing something shady. They're doing something that's not right. And the explanation is given here that Joseph brought unto his father their evil reward. Notice this is just these boys that are mentioned here. I want you to see the progression because it grows throughout the narrative. Then we're talking about Joseph's, or Jacob's favoritism. So Joseph is faithful, faithful to his father. He does what he's supposed to do. Hey guys, we're not supposed to be messing with this stuff. We're not supposed to be doing. And he goes and he lets dad know. Now, I don't know what dad did about it. It's not recorded. But we do know that he loved Israel. Israel loved Joseph more. So I see Joseph's faithfulness, but I see also Jacob's favoritism in verses 3 and 4. So the code is made, and it's given to Joseph. And I do believe you can leave it just as it's written. The coat of 
colors, and uh, it's, it's many colors. This would be a coat, no matter how you break it down, if you want to say it's just a long tunic or something, and it looks, whatever it is, it looks different from what everybody else is wearing. And it's a mark on Joseph that he's favored. And the others see it, and look what happens in verse number four. And when his brethren saw, notice it's not notice just now, now the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, it's now the rest of the brothers. All of them. When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, not just the handmaid's sons, all his brethren, they hated him. When you see hated, maybe you want to draw attention to that because you'll see it over and over in these verses we read. They hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Notice how this affects. Hatred breeds other sin. And if you don't deal with hatred, it will grow into envy. And when I preached through this uh, some years ago, uh, probably 10 or 12 years ago, I actually drew a, a picture of what I saw as the root and the fruit here, you know. And it was, it was probably, it's probably buried in my file folder somewhere, nice picture of a fruit tree, you know. I probably made it look too pretty. I probably should have colored all the apples black because it's, it's terrible fruit. But uh, just to illustrate it, what's the root? You know, as we look at this, we're going we're gonna to unfold that. So keep your eye on that. As things began to move forward, they could not speak peaceably on it, even if they wanted to. You ever been in a situation like that where you can tell some people are at odds with somebody else, and it's so thick in the room you can almost cut it with a knife, and it's like they're just stewing, and they won't even say anything. They can't even open their mouth. When Joseph comes around, his brother's can't even talk. That's a great time for Thanksgiving, isn't it? Let's try to gather for Thanksgiving. I've heard the horror stories. Now, my family's just crazy anyway you put it, so we have all kinds of problems anyway. But I've heard the horror stories of families that, you know, they get together on Thanksgiving, and I'm scratching my head going, why? You guys are worse off for getting together, in my opinion. You should just, you know, let bygones be bygones. But there are families that really, you know, a grudge is the heaviest thing you'll ever carry, isn't it? Let's just put that behind us. But his brothers cannot. Notice the word cannot. They could not speak peacefully. When you have this kind of hatred in your heart, it's going to manifest itself. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Well, there's nothing coming out of the mouth here. Why? Because there's an abundance of hatred in the heart. And, and Jesus equated this kind of hatred with murder, by the way, in Matthew chapter number 5. How's that going to play out? That's going to be manifested. When these brothers get ready to throw Joseph in the pit, it's only by Reuben that he is not killed. And Reuben tries to save Joseph, and it still doesn't work out. They wind up selling him at Judah's, you know, Judah's advice instead. Hey, why are we going to kill him and have to you know, cover up all this blood and everything? Let's just sell him. We can make money out of the deal too, and it's a win-win, right? So then they sell him into slavery while Reuben's gone. But the hatred will manifest itself eventually a murder, because that's really what's in the heart. Notice verse number five. We see not only a father's revere, which brings the favoritism and the problems, which before I talk about the future revelation, let me just, let me just apply this this way. Wouldn't you think that Joseph learned his, or Jacob learned his lesson by now with favoritism? Oh, we are creatures of habit, are we not? How long does it take for us to learn something I mean, we are just as hard-headed as, as anything sometimes. 
Why do I say that? Because let's trace Joseph's history, or Jacob, I keep saying the wrong name, so forgive me. Let's trace Jacob's history back and see how favoritism has destroyed his family for decades. This is not Jacob's first encounter with favoritism. Who can remind me the first instance of favoritism that we read in the Bible in Jacob's life? Esau. Dad loved Esau more than Jacob. So if anybody should know what this is going to do to Joseph, it ought to be Jacob because he walked in Joseph's shoes when he was Joseph's age. Generational sin is a dangerous, dangerous thing. And mark my words, I didn't make this up. This is not new with me, but you can take this to the bank of heaven. If you will apply the word of God, and if you will get serious with following God, generational sin can stop with you. It can stop with me. Generational sin doesn't have to go any further than right here. If the buck stops here between me and God, then it doesn't have to continue. You can change. You can change your family tree with the help of God. Jacob is not going to see that realized because the same favoritism that Isaac had toward Esau and Rebekah towards Jacob now is manifesting in Jacob. So Jacob had good teachers, didn't he? What about what about uh, how this traced the rest of his life? Let's follow him up to Badanaram. Uh, let's go up to Uncle Laban's. Was there any favoritism that reared its ugly head up there at Laban's? Why in the world does Jacob have four mothers in his household? Well, three now that Rachel's dead. Could it not be because of the favoritism of Laban? See, it's plagued his heels all along. And favoritism now is showing up with the brothers against Joseph. So let's just let's just note that. And notice not only a father's revere in verses two through four, but a but a future revelation that's given to Joseph in these dreams. And we won't rehash them, but there's the first dream in verses five through eight. This is revealed to Joseph, and he shares that with his brothers. And his brothers mock him for it. There's a second dream in verses 9 through 11, and he shares it not just with the brothers, but he shares it with Dad too, and everybody else. And then he gets rebuked by his own father for sharing what God's doing in his life. That's a hard pill to swallow. I remember when I was sharing about what God was doing in my life after I got saved and was called to preach and felt like God wanted me to prepare for ministry, and I was headed to Bible college. And I remember someone very close to me, very close to me in my life that I looked up to and I respected, rebuked me for wanting to go to Bible college instead of going to a state college. Because they wanted me to go to you know, a, a state university and to get, you know, get on a path where I could you know, eventually hopefully make lots of money or whatever the world's, you know, <laughs> the world's definition of success is. I'll tell you, you know, could I have? Yeah, I probably could have. Would I be making more money than I am right now? You can probably guarantee that because ministry is not, you know, if you want to make a lot of money, ministry is not the place to be for that. But my treasure is in heaven. And would I go back and change any of that? Not on your life. Not on your life. I know I made the right decision because I had the peace of God on that. And it didn't matter what, even this person so close to me that I had so much respect for, it, it kind of hurt. So I don't know how Joseph felt about this when his dad you know, dear old dad rebuked him for sharing what God's doing in his life. But let's just know that, right? 
I mean, sometimes God does things and people just don't understand. One thing that was interesting to me in this, though, maybe it stood out to you, in uh, chapter 37, if we look at verses 9 through 11, this second dream of the, the first two dreams that were told about in the life of Joseph, he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. Behold, note this, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. Now, who's the sun? Who's the moon? Who are the eleven stars? It's not spelled out clearly, but Jacob gives us the interpretation. So, we can have a pretty good understanding that in everybody there, it was pretty well understood exactly who this was referring to. Without any need for Joseph to elaborate, without any need to interpret the dream, the interpretation stood for itself. Are you with me? That's different from when Pharaoh has his dream and nobody can interpret it because then Joseph has to show up on the scene later and actually spell out the details. All right, Pharaoh, this the fat cows and the lean cows. Here's what that means. Let me give you the interpretation. These are the years. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. There's an interpretation that's given. Well, the interpretation of the dream is spelled out by Joseph and is taken by taken or Jacob and is taken by granted, just for granted, that the sun is who? Jacob. The moon is who? Huh, don't answer too soon. Remember, mom died giving birth to Benjamin. Now, I haven't figured all of this out. Okay, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know exactly, you know, can I say adamantly that this is Rachel? No. Can I say adamantly that Jake, Jacob is referring when he says, your mom and I? Is he just referring to Leah? Because now she's stepped into that place as mom over all the sons? Well, we just read about Bilhah and Zilpah, so they're included here too. But remember, we're talking about a dream. So if we just let the text stand the way it is, who's Joseph's mom? Rachel. Where is she? Beyond the grave. Now let this sink in. Joseph. Crazy, man. You've lost it. There's no. Do you see how Jacob, maybe, if, if he is looking at this as, as Rachel being the moon, why would he see Leah as the moon? I, I don't know. He could. Okay, I'll grant it. Granted, you know, like um, it was uh, in the in the Tyndale commentary, Kidner, Kidner. He said, it, you know, it makes most sense to have it be Leah here, and, and I, I can give you that. But I think there's something happening with this dream. Why would Jacob rebuke Joseph so much for this? Well, maybe Jacob is saying some things that Jacob, or Joseph is saying some things that Jacob just can't wrap his mind around. You know, we can't always figure out what God's going to do. But if, if Jacob would have paid more attention to this, maybe he would have gotten it that, hey, God's going to do something great through this boy. So when the brothers brought the coat, dipped in blood, he might have had more faith to say he's not dead. He can't be dead. What about the dream? The dream meant nothing? Okay. So the future revelation. We see a father's revere. We see the future revelation, verses uh, 5 through 11. And then notice the fractured relationships that are spelled out for us in verse 4, verse 8, and verse 11. You'll see the progression here. And I want to point out for you the seed, what I see as the seed of all of this, 
that turns into the root, which then produces the fruit. That's logical, right? We have to think logically on this. So when you put a seed in the dirt, and it, and it germinates and begins to grow, you don't have anything until it starts to form roots, right? And then those roots grow, and the stalks grow off the roots, and then from those stalks you get the fruit. Let's see, you know, metaphorically how this is going to fall out. Verse number four, I want you to see the seed of it all. When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. What was the seed that was planted that then sprouted into the root? The seed was favoritism. Could Jacob have, could Jacob have avoided that? It could, have been, it could have been different. So I want you to see, this is not something that is just uh, fatalistic here. That there's no other outcome. That this is just the way it is and we've got to like it or lump it. No. Jacob could have changed it. And who's to blame? Who is God going to hold accountable? Who is held to the carpet? Dad. The father is the head of the home. And if we can maintain a good standing before God, Jacob here plants the seed. The seed then is watered by, by the coat and all of that, and it grows into this root. And what's the root? The root is hatred. The seed that started it was the favoritism. The root is the hatred the brothers have. And it grows and it grows and it grows. And once that root is established, I've given this illustration before, I still have stuff growing in my front yard I've planted, I don't know how much grass seed out there. I've pulled up every goat head I could find. And, I mean, my wife pulls weeds like there's no tomorrow. But there's one weed out in my front yard that I, I just know I'm going to have to rototill the whole thing up to be able to find out where this thing's running. I tried one year. I got out there and I was like, man, this thing keeps coming back. And, you know, the grass grows, and if you don't cut it, like, in a week, you'll have red sprouts like about this high above the grass and they're like red things with big leaves on them I don't know what it is so I thought I'm going to get that thing ever get that guys it's like okay we're going to stop until we get to the I'm going to get to the root so I got my shovel this is before we had our sprinkler pipes in so I was clear you know, I don't have to even call 811 I don't, I'm not going to mark anything I'm just going to go after this root and I went after that thing and I started pulling, popped a little bit here, so I traced it there. And before before long, I've got a trench through my whole yard. No joke, this root is woven like a tapestry weave, warping, woof and all, through my front lawn. And if I was to pull one up, it'd break, and I'd have to keep digging and keep digging until I pull the whole root up. Can I tell you, I think that's a lot like the brother's hatred because it wasn't dealt with swiftly and forgiveness could not be found that's how you answer bitterness by the way with forgiveness forgiving as, as God forgave us for Christ's sake forgiveness is the answer that's how you destroy the root of hatred that's going to turn into envy but that root man it was so deep I, I just left it I'll have to rototill the thing it's still there if you come to my yard even if I cut the grass Within a week, there's going to be those red tree 
looking things that grow up above my grass. It drives me nuts, but they're still there. Can I tell you, you might try to do some good things for God. You might clean it up. You might trim, trim the grass, so to speak, spiritually, but it won't be long. Something's going to pop up, and there it is again. Why? Because you didn't deal with the root, and you're gonna. it's going to take some work. You're going to have to probably tear some things up in your life. You're going to have to let God tear your heart all apart to rototill that thing so you, He can put you back together in a way that you're, you're going to be whole then, and this thing won't plague you anymore. Can I tell you, there's a promise that one day that's going to happen at glorification, but we can work on it a little bit by a little bit in this process of sanctification until we get to heaven. Amen? So the seed is favoritism. Let's look at the root, verse number 8. And we see what happens here. And his brethren said unto him, Okay, that was my little uh, glorified imagination there. <laughs> Sorry on that. <laughs> That's like, okay. Uh, his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Hey, kid, who do you think you are? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion? They're interpreting his dream. Again, same way Jacob is interpreting the second dream. They just take it as a given. Oh, these sheeps. You mean uh, you're going to have dominion over us? Um, let me fast forward through the book of Genesis. Yes. That's exactly what that means. But they won't have it. Notice, and they hated him yet the more. The seed is favoritism. The root is hatred. Now let's look at the fruit. Because this wasn't dealt with, it's going to grow up and it's going to produce what we read in verse number 11. And his brethren envied him, and his father observed the same. Envy, you know, green with envy. Envy is a, a destroyer, and it doesn't stop here. Because of their envy, they're going to lash out against him. And mark it down, when somebody gets to the point where they're lashing out, it's because some things have already been cooking in their heart and growing. So let's just stop it at the seed, right? And it goes both ways. If we sow to the flesh, we shall of the flesh reap corruption. The end of this story is going to be corruption for the brothers. And can I tell you, they're going to live with a guilty conscience all their life, even up until the very end. Why do I say that? Because even after Jacob dies, the brothers are still fearful that Joseph's going to get revenge on them for what they did all those decades before. Now that's not new in the book of Genesis. We saw that with Jacob and Esau. He's going to want to kill me because I took the birthright and the blessing and I fled for Laban's. I haven't seen him in probably 20 years, but I know he still wants, he's got it in for me. And of course Esau's reaction was totally different, wasn't it? Now, time does help a little bit, I think, sometimes. It doesn't make everything go away. But time helped Jacob and Esau's meeting, and I think time is going to help jo Joseph and his brothers as well. But this is the fruit. It's going to plague them for the rest of their life because of the actions they commit right here in Genesis 37. They envied him. The seed is favoritism. If we sow to the flesh, we shall of the flesh reap corruption. But if we sow to the Spirit, that's life everlasting. It works both ways in God's economy. You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sowed. You reap according to the kind you sow. Those are the laws of nature, right? 
So let's sow good seed. Let's sow forgiveness. Let's sow grace. Let's sow mercy. Let's sow the gospel seed, the good news that Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again. He died, according to the Scriptures, for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, for our sins. Lest we have the the fruit in our life that winds up like these brothers that plagues us. Now, we're studying through the Beatitudes on Sunday mornings. And as I studied through this, I just couldn't help but see. Blessed. Blessed. Blessed will be Joseph. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Joseph got to enjoy not only saving the world, talk about a hero story. This is a hero story in the Bible, if there ever was one. He's going to save the world, literally. Not only does he get to enjoy that here, but because of Joseph's meekness, Joseph will one day be in the foundation of that celestial city of God, the walls of New Jerusalem, Joseph's there. In fact, there's only a few times, there's three times Joseph is even mentioned in the New Testament. Isn't that funny? I find that striking. We can pretty much take the story of Joseph then and read it and get what we can out of it of the Old Testament. The New Testament doesn't really say that much about him. You have him showing up in Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. You have him listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. And then you have him mentioned one more time. Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. The 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is listed there. Boy, isn't that a picture of this man, Joseph, hero of the faith. And we get to study his life and embark on that. What a blessing it can be to us. Let's guard our heart. Keep it with all diligence, for out of it is the issues of life.